a pickle I just want to ride on my motorcycle Everybody, welcome to the Nokomoto podcast, episode number 69, the Nikki Hayden episode. Sadly, no, I should have prepared something about Nikki Hayden, but we didn't. Yeah, my bad. But we're mentioning Nikki. Everyone should look up and Google Nikki Hayden right now if you're not familiar or, you know, whatever. Send something to his foundation. Do it. Okay, coming to you from our headquarters here in northern Colorado. You know what? We're coming to you straight from Moto One Podcast Studios is where we're coming to you from. (laughs) And we had shitty weather, not one of our 300 days of sunshine in northern Colorado, but we're not going to let it get us down, you know? Still snowing in May. Yeah. Look, at this point, I'm just going to work off the belief that it's going to maintain an average temperature of like 75 through Christmas. And that's how I'm getting through this. Okay. All right. I'm your host, Moto G Pete. And with me is your other host, Swiggy. Yo. And we'll have a special guest joining us at some point in this. I have no idea how we're going to cut this episode together, but it'll make sense. Table of contents for this episode. We've got emails for you. We're going to do best and worst bike in the world this week, hopefully with our guest. And we're going to be talking to our guest, Bob Ward from Biker Gear Club at some point in all of this as well. So I say we start with emails. What do you think? Uh, let's do it. Okay. So Swiggy's going to read the emails. You've got any brought up for us yet? Uh, pretty light on emails this week. We did get an email about another listener email. And this oh, is, yes. this is from Ben. And Ben says, first love the podcast episode 67, the kid from Nashville looking to convince his parents about getting a motorcycle. Your advice was pretty good in my opinion. I'm a proud father of a young rider. My son has been riding the streets of Bakersfield for a few years. He is 18 now. I was all for him riding his mom. Not so much. So the approach we took with her was a scooter around the house. We had him take a safety course before riding on the streets. I'm 50 and have had bikes since I was nine. Now he has a GS500F. So here are a few pictures of Craigslist bikes for the kid to look at in Nashville. By the email the kid sent you, you can tell he is a well-read and smart kid. Let your passion drive you, kid. Get yourself a fixer-upper. Learning to work on your bike will only drive your desire to ride. Thank you, guys. Keep up the great podcast. So then he linked a bunch of Craigslist bikes. And I didn't realize that you could find fairly good, fairly cheap bikes around Nashville. Yeah, that whole area. I remember looking at Craigslist ads like not that long ago thinking well we're bikes in indiana that cheap because of the time and the economy and then i just looked at craigslist ads like in indianapolis again recently and i was like holy fuck bikes are so goddamn cheap over there like the notion of buying a running motorcycle for less than a thousand dollars let alone like six hundred dollars oh that's unheard of here 
Yeah, you can't do it. And imagine how bad it is in L.A. or New York or Chicago. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In Nashville, he can find something. That's why I said all he needs is 500 bucks to get this started and going. Like, not to get the bike running, but to get something that's not a lost cause. He can totally do that. I mean, I like that we got a response on this, and this is kind of sparking a debate. I'd kind of like to hear more from listeners about what they think of their kids' writing. I have, I've kind of planted some seeds with my kids to the point now that when we're riding around in the car and they see someone riding a motorcycle without a helmet, they'll point it out like, Dad, that guy's not wearing all his gear. And they'll say it that way, too. They'll be like, he does not have all his gear on. And I'm like, what do we think of that? And they're like, he won't think he's cool when he's in the hospital. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know? Or if they see someone on a Harley with a helmet, they'll be like, there's a cruiser with a helmet. And I'm like, yeah, don't see that every day, you know? So I'm kind of like building those things into them. That When it gets to the point that if we are going to have that conversation when they're 14 and want to ride, there are already some basic expectations met there, and we, we don't even have to deal with that. But... You know, if you haven't had those conversations, all of a sudden it's 14 and you don't know that they're sold on this idea of all the safety gear. Well, that's a whole nother level. I can pretty much not guarantee, but I'm pretty confident that if my kids ever ride, they're already committed to a certain level of safety. Yeah. And I guess it, it kind of depends on, you know, what your kid is like, because I'm sure there are a lot of parents out there who say there is no way in hell you're getting a motorcycle. And it may be a teenager who a year ago made an Instagram video of him eating a Tide Pod. Right. You know, yeah. like we, we, you know, everyone wants to say, oh, my parents are just being uptight and won't let me get a motorcycle. You could genuinely be a person who just shouldn't ride a motorcycle. This is, this true. is always a possibility. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think I'm going to mention a couple things about our other email that we wanted to mention here because, again, like you said, we're light. Um, he doesn't want a lot of this read for sensitive reasons in the email, but I feel like if he didn't have these sensitive uh, elements to it that he would want his email read. So I want to at least acknowledge that we got a email from a South African listener. Was and, it Ninja? And, yeah, it sadly was not from Ninja. Oh, <laughs> I I love this. The title says, sorry, this is not from D Antwoord. <laughs> and that tickles the shit out of me. But you know what? The, uh, w with the story that this email lays out, trust me, um, it's, uh, you know, this was just as good as getting an email from D Antwoord. Okay. So thank you for sharing your story with this man. Um, this really made my day to read this and Swiggy's too. So you know, our uh, our listeners from South Africa are few but very fucking proud. And we love you. Keep it up. And don't write off any more ninjas <laughs> if you can at all avoid it. All right. So let's get into this how to sound like you know what you want to talk about that we've been trying to get to for fucking ever. All right. At how to like, sound like you know what you're talking about. Is that not what I said? No. Oh. How to sound like you know what you want to talk about is what she said. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> that thing. We're going to do it. So this is not super tech heavy, but this is something that I wish someone had taken me to the side and just explained very clearly a long time ago. We're going to talk about 
Ducati superbikes and which fucking superbikes are which bikes, right? So here we go. You've heard someone say, like people just say, I've got a Ducati and they often just leave it there. Maybe they'll say I have a monster or a scrambler. But after that, you start mentioning the name of your specific Ducati and people's eyes just, they wander. They have no idea what you're talking about. There's all kinds of numbers that are really close together and no one, and it seems like you've got to have a fucking PhD to track which bikes are what, right? It doesn't make any sense to people. There's just a lot of numbers, okay? And it's actually way simpler than it seems. So a couple weeks ago, I had that best bike in the world, the Ducati 851. And we're going to start there because that's pretty much the oldest Ducati you care about as a listener. No one's really going to turn up with anything new. And all we're going to talk about are simply the Ducati superbikes. What is the hottest, craziest Ducati from any particular year? And that's going to clear up a lot of these questions about which Ducatis are which. So we start with the 851, right? And that's the bee's knees. That's their R1 at the time. You know, even the R1 didn't exist. That's their CBR 1000 RR, you name it, leader bike that they race. That's the 851. But Ducati does this weird thing where they take an engine and a bike and they will just increase the displacement or do some tweaks to it, but keep everything else the same. But they'll rename it with the number, but not the name of the bike, or they kind of do or kind of don't. So there's a lot of different models that exist within one model. And a great example of this is the Porsche 911. There's, you know, the 928s and 998s and 996s and all sorts of different, but they're all Porsche 911s, right? So if you understand how that works, this is how Ducati works. So the Ducati 851 and the Ducati 888 are basically the same bike. That's all you really need to know. Yes, they changed the displacement from 851 to 888, but they're basically the same bike. And so those run from the years, what I say, 88 to 94, 93, somewhere around there. I want to say 94. Uh, 87 to 92. Only to 92. Oh, well, yeah, but the, eight, uh, uh, the 888 is when the is yeah. 92 to maybe uh, even 94, 96, somewhere in there. Sorry, the 851 was to 92. Right. And then the then it becomes the 888. But it's essentially the same bike. It looks identical. Yeah. It's just got the engine bored out a little bit more, but it's essentially the same bike. So then the next Ducati you need to know about is the 916. And this is about half the story because this bike goes from what, 95 until about 2004, 2005, Um, somewhere in there. It goes to 98 under the 916 name. Right, but under the 996, it runs under what? Well, okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. Essentially, this bike goes up to like 2004, something like that, because it exists under some several different names. This is like the Ducati, the 916. You just say 916 around any Italian restaurant, 
or ex- or European sports bike dealership and people just perk up. I mean, like people will jump out of bushes and be like, you want to talk about 916s? This is the Ducati. Everyone agrees. This is the best looking, coolest Ducati that ever was. It was so cool that speeds and horsepower and things are attributed to this bike that just even aren't true because no one will ever bad mouth a Ducati 916. And I got to tell you, they shouldn't because we're talking like 110 horsepower. We're talking 70 something foot pounds of torque, fuel injection, the inverted forks, the double brakes. I mean, everything like you would expect except for the advanced electronics packages. I mean, except for the advanced electronic packages, you wouldn't be that shocked for a bike like this to be sold today or very recently. It's a really cool looking bike that has a style that's unmistakable. Just Google 916 right now. You know what I'm talking about. But this bike had an extended life because they boarded out to a 996 and then again to 998. And they named it the 996 and the 998. But these are all Ducati 916s, basically. They just minor little tweaks with the engine and this and that, but no significant change. You know, they'll call it the 916 body style or the 916 years, right? If you've got a 998, it's not significantly better than a 916. Uh, it, I don't think they really had to make that much more horsepower. They just kind of upped the torque a little bit and extended the rev range or shortened it. They just tweaked it a little bit to be a little bit closer to what they imagined when they first put pen to paper on designing the bike. Yeah. So, I mean, that's like a big 10-year run. And this is kind of when Ducati started really, really growing into who they are now and how we know them as a company, right? You know, this is kind of when Harley Davidson was really becoming Harley Davidson too. There's this idea that Ducati always was Ducati and Harley always was Harley. But really, there's this kind of time in the 90s when some people had a little bit too much money to spend. And both these brands really become the premium brands we know them now. So after that, you have to know about the Ducati 999. And... Ducati people lost their shit when this bike came out. And thankfully, this is one where they didn't fuck with the numbers too much. The Ducati 999 is the one that has two headlights, one put on top of the other. Yeah, this is the almost completely symmetrical bike. Yes, this people will complain because in the quest for symmetry in this bike, uh, Pierre Turbulange decided to go away from the single-sided swing arm that people loved so much in the 916. Yeah, this is the one time where you think, instead of, oh, single-sided swing arm, you're like, whoa, not single-sided swing arm. Right. Now, I have always loved this bike, and I did it as a best bike in the world, but Ducati people are very hot and cold on this. At first, almost everyone hated it. Then it won a bunch of races, and then some people were on board. But to this day, a lot of people just can't accept it because it was it succeeded 
what is the most beloved Ducati of all time. So it was always going to be hated because of that reason, even if it was beautiful. There's no act that was going to follow the 916 like they thought. I mean, and if you ask me with the way this bike looks, it's just, it's so of the time. It's perfect. I mean, to backtrack just a little bit, you know the 916. This is how iconic it is. It's the motorcycle from the from the matrix well i think actually uh what did there's a difference between the bike and the first matrix it's the one they had the highway chase scene on in the second one right so it's in fact there's a matrix edition which quick sidetrack if you have an opportunity to buy a matrix edition ducati 996 do it don't hesitate that may be the most collectible bike in the universe pretty soon it's got the nostalgia going for it. It's connected to a famous franchise. It's like the best Ducati ever in the performance. It's great for what it is. I mean, it it has a special color. It comes in. No other motorcycle came in. It's just actually, I have to correct you. What? It was a nine, nine, six. I said it was a nine, nine, six. Did you? I think I did. The tape will tell us, but I'm pretty sure I said I got it correct that it's a 996, okay. not a 998. Although they're all 916s. That's that's the mystery there. Now, of course, there's a bunch of different versions of all those, like the R and the S and the whatever, but that's all you need to know. So moving on to the 999s, again, this is the one that has the really strange to look at front end where there's a light one on top of the other. The numbers are great on this. The performance, it was better in absolutely every way performance-wise over the 916, but people just got upset and couldn't deal with it. And this is maybe one of the only ones, where, like I said, where they don't change the numbers on us. 999s are all just 999s. There's no confusion. Although I don't think it was 999 cc's. I think they just took the 998 number and just upped it one. Like I, th- I want. I've got to look at the wiki here, but it may be over one liter in displacement. Uh, it says nine nine eight two nine nine nine. Oh, so the displacement was still nine nine eight, but they had to call it the nine 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 just to get a new, new number. Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this is going to become a common story because now we move into all the Ducati. Panagales, right? So 2006, 2007 rolls around and everyone's like, oh my gosh, we've dealt with like three years of the 999. Like it's ugly. We, we you know, Ducati had to do something because people were fucking pissed about the 999. Still are about how ugly they thought it was. So they, they had to go to the Panagales, which I'll give them. Ducati Panigale is probably maybe the second most gorgeous motorcycles of all time. There's no way to look at a Panigale and not think and not, you know, just know that you're looking at art, right? I've often said a Panigale is one of the very few bikes that looks good in white, a really hard move to pull off. And they do. They really do. So let's see here. The first Panigale is the well i guess this is where it's a little bit important to mention that across all these models of bike 
they're like the super board, super bike, one liter bikes, essentially what we're talking the equivalent of. There's a second level of super sports, essentially at a different displacement, which have equally confusing names, right? So if you hear someone talk about a 748, that's a 916 with a smaller motor, but a 749 is a 999 with a smaller <laughs> motor. And then it confusingly goes to the 848, which is the smaller version of the Panigale, which was a 959. I, no, 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 the 1199. Sorry, the 119, no, the 1198. It was the first Panigale superbike, which then goes to the 1199. Which was 1198 cc's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so dumb and then the 1299 which is current yes yes so 1198 1199 1299 on the big ones but they're all basically the same bike different displacement tweakings here and there but nothing radically different you know and then across that you've got the 899 which no the 848s and then the 848 Evo, then the 899, and then 959, which mirror underneath all of those Panigales. And now that brings us to the Panigale V4. Now, I believe you can still get a 1299 Panigale. They haven't stopped it. So this is the first time right now that there's kind of two super bikes side by side from Ducati. Well, yeah, because they're still racing the 1299 in other leagues right so the, even though there's really only been one bike even though there's all these different numbers right now is the only time there's ever been two legit super bikes at once from ducati as far as i'm aware yes now now that they've gone to kind of a more canonical naming scheme with just panigale v4 with no numbers attached what are they going to call the next generation of V4 Panigale? Uh, the Bologna? I don't know. <laughs> it's like Ducati has done everything they can to make it confusing. It's like tennis, right? Tennis, the, the scoring system is dumb, and it's dumb simply for the reason that it's elitist, right? I feel like Ducati decided to make all of this way more complicated than it needed to be just for that reason. Right. And, you know, Harley's a little bit guilty of this as well, where they have all these very different or sometimes not even so different, but you know, 20 different names for all of what's essentially just the same bike. Well, same engine and frame and then very slight modifiers Right. Like, I don't know what the difference between a fat boy is and a, uh, I don't know, whatever else. I th There's there's a whole bunch of things. I can't tell you specifically the difference between, I don't know, um, an ultra classic and an ultra limited. I can't tell you what the difference between any different sportsters are. 
except for maybe the Roadster, because that looks way different with the inverted forks. I, they, they do a lot of stuff, and you kind of have to be a Harley person. And if you want to know the letter designations instead of, like, the common names for all those bikes, like, I, you really need, yeah, a master's degree in something to keep all that shit straight. I know they have a system for it, and if you just know enough about Harley, someone could describe to you a new model coming out and, you'd, and they'd be able to say, oh, well, that would be a whatever, whatever, whatever. But I don't know how it works. I haven't taken the time. Uh, but I do remember just coming across something to kind of outline like, oh, there's really only just been these four generations now of Ducati super bikes. Whereas I thought they were just putting out crazy different shit all the time. And I could never really talk Ducati with anyone. I'd be like, well, I know what some of these are, but I didn't know how they were laid out. And it was just this big mystery. Like, oh, Ducati's just made all these crazy bikes and some of them won races and whatever. They've really just kind of made four different generations of super bikes, which makes a lot of sense. There's essentially been, in that amount of time, four different generations of super bike from Yamaha. Mm-hmm. And same with Honda and their CBRs, right? It's it's all kind of moved along the same way. Just all of them naming their bikes things very, very different. You know, in the early days, Honda was really attached to the fire, uh, the Fireblade name. You know, they would call things in the States Fireblades. And eventually just became the CBR 1000 RR, no matter what year. That was just the version eventually, once they hit on it's just going to be a leader now or even if it's 997 cc's whatever it's just the 1000 rr ducati couldn't make it that easy for us <laughs> they'd have to call it exactly what the displacement is or exactly the displacement plus one or just whatever they felt like at the time apparently yeah and they've always kind of been because they've been effectively the sole v twin in a lot of different racing leagues mainly up against a bunch of japanese inline fours they've always been kind of negotiating the rules and altering the what's considered the equivalent rpms or the equivalent displacement for a twin compared to the inline fours so they've kind of just been constantly reinventing the bikes fairly radically in comparison to the japanese bikes which are all just kind of they've all been fairly consistent, slight refinements from the year before. Whereas the Ducati's probably changed the most. Yeah. We've had about roughly 20 years, maybe even more like 25 of all the Japanese going, okay, we've got one liter and 600 and we're just going to take those as inline four configurations, sometimes V fours, whatever, and just develop that as far as we can whereas ducati goes "Uh, let's do some math and figure out what displacement and how our engine could be perfect as a twin to compete with that and let's bring that to the fim and say hey oh you're gonna put a rev limiter on us whatever this bike only revs to eight thousand anyway it's a twin (laughs) you know like they just kind of do they could yeah I never thought of that angle. They can they just write the rule book themselves essentially. Well, and if you're only dealing with two cylinders, maybe the rules could be this way, FIM. I 
I never hear about them getting slapped with too much. It's just kind of always been accepted. Like, oh, yeah, in the one liter class, Ducati runs a 1250 twin. Whatever. I guess that's about equivalent. I don't know who's doing the hard science on what a twin equivalent always is. I think at a certain point, they always just threaten to take their ball home. And (laughs) (laughs) look. If we don't get these concessions, we're at. That's like ball. <laughs> That's the perfect way to put it. It's like, what, you're going to have a racing league without Ducati? Really? Are people going to take that seriously? <laughs> yeah, or is Ducati going to be like, fine, we'll just tell people you wouldn't let us race? I I don't know. Although now they kind of are playing everyone else's game with this V4, though. That's interesting. I, th- yeah, that makes it like the most unducati thing ever. Well, the cons, I mean, if you look at the last 20 years, like completely redesigning the bike and both from, I mean, not the engine so much, but cosmetically and in terms of suspensions and swing arms and all sorts, pretty much everything around the bike has been negotiable and been malleable. It is very weird that now they've just said we're going to move away from the V-Twin, which they've had for so long. But the whole concept of just redesigning the bike from the ground up is not new. Yeah, I mean, it, it does need to be said, as opposed to the, the incremental changes that the Japanese manufacturers have made. You know, even when you go up one generation to the next, right? like with the the R1 from the first gen to the second gen, right? Yes, it's a different bike. It's all redesigned, but nothing's that radical. But you go from the 999 to the the Panigale, and it's night and day. Everything's different. I mean, it's in no way. They don't share a single part. That is definitely distinct about Ducati. I just wish they'd made it easier for us to keep track of what was what. The I mean, before Panigale, I'm not even sure if they ever had just a single word attached to one of their superbikes to designate it as a family, right? Yeah. Like I said, all the 996s and 998s were all really just 916s. And that's how you just had to think about those bikes because they didn't have a word like Panigale for all of them. And they really went crazy with all the different Panigales. You know, when someone says, I've got a Ducati Panigale, it's like, okay, you've still only told me half the story. Yeah. That's like saying, oh, I bought a, I bought a CBR or I bought an R. It's like, <laughs> okay, uh, going to need a little bit more. So, yeah, a lot of people just end up saying, I've got a Ducati. And everyone's like, yeah, I'm sure it's fast. Cool. I mean, you know, you get two Ducati guys next to each other to start talking and they just start spitting out numbers. And pretty soon it's just 1198, right? You can't keep track of it. But yeah, understand there's really only four of them and you're good to go. All right, cool. So I think now we have burned enough time. We got a lot to get to on this episode. Let's bring our guest in. And now we're going to talk to our guest, Bob Ward from Biker Gear Club. Say hello. Hello. All right. So 
what is your position? You're the founder CEO of Biker Gear Club. Is that correct? That's correct. I guess you should explain to people what <laughs> Biker Gear Club is. Well, Biker Gear Club is a subscription box service for bikers. So are pretty much in a market, um, in, in a new new kind of market for the motorcycle industry. And we send subscription boxes that are curated for four different categories of bikers because as you guys know, there are many different styles and riders. So we decided to just go all in for not just one of those categories, but try to encompass all of them. So uh, if you're into sport bikes, or vintage and cafe racer style motorcycles, or even the motocross and adventure riders. We curate custom experiences for all four of those categories. Cool. So you have these boxes for these different categories of riders and, you know, kind of poking around doing some, uh, some looking at your, your website here. You've got two models for this. You've got monthly and quarterly, right? Correct. So what really are the differences going one versus the other? Because I'll be honest, I haven't done, had experienced anything with a box service of any kind before ever, really. So, okay, okay. you know, why, why would someone go monthly versus quarterly? <laughs> well, that's it. That is a good question. Yeah. Um, monthly boxes. I like to say those are, those are for like the, the ultimate gear junkies, the, the people that love recently, uh, learn about new products and new brands. That box is going to come with three to six different items per month, depending on obviously like kind of the price point um, of of each item, um, because it costs fifty nine dollars per month shipping costs. And so yeah, I, I, <laughs> it's funny because I myself probably wouldn't need that much gear, so I, I personally wouldn't subscribe for a monthly box because. That's a lot of stuff, but a lot of riders like different types of bikes and, and are out there all the time. They just love to get new supplies and it's kind of handy for them because when they get, when they sign up monthly, they, they're, they know that every month, right around the middle of the month, they're going to be getting a box of actually a new cleaning supply, a tool and just something rad to wear, some kind of lifestyle item or something like that. So yeah, it's kind of for the ultimate gear junkie who likes to be spoiled or or spoil themselves on a monthly basis, <laughs> versus the quarterly experience, which is which is going to be you know every three months, and you're going to get more items, but you'll get about seven to twelve different items, but you're going to be getting you know at least one or two bigger items per quarter. Okay, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I get. Yeah, okay, so. Here's my big question, I guess, really, but every time I can't get this out of my head, like, do you, do you have to like fill out some sort of form to like, let you guys know exactly what kind of stuff I already have? Like, you know, I'm, I'm like, you know, like I've already got like an Alpine stars CE2 level back protector. Am I going to be paying for you guys to ship me another CE2 back protector? <laughs> that's a good question. Actually, that's a really uh, good point you bring up because we do have a survey that or cu- of customization options that the the uh, the member takes before they sign up. But it, it we're constantly evolving that based on feedback from our members and stuff like that. So it's it's not quite that detailed. Um, so yeah, you might be getting a, a a duplicate item if if that's something you already have. 
most of the people that sign up monthly don't mind having kind of some repeat items because a lot of the stuff, a lot of the gear that you get, you know, as a biker might get worn out after a couple of years, you need to replace it anyway. So it's kind of handy having a backup item. The customization options aren't going to be quite that detailed. It's just more of like basic sizing information and then the, the type of bike you ride, the model, the make, the year, so that we can actually customize the experience um, to that degree where we can send you specific components for your motorcycle, um, which is really cool. And so it's very detailed as far as that goes, as well as like what kind of rider you are. So for the sport box, we have options like if you're into sport touring or track day rider, and obviously you're going to get different items depending on, you know, where you ride your bike or if you're just on the street or in the canyons. Um, and then we go into a little bit of, um, <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. It's like ethereal kind of like how you ride your bike because, you know, we want, we're kind of trying to get to know our members on that, on that basis, like for, for our cruisers, like, are you an easy rider? You know, are you that kind of guy or are you the spirited like stunt rider Harley guy? So, you know, it, it we like to get those kind of, um, we like to get that information from our users rather than, you know, like what previous gear do they have? Um, and stuff like that. Cause we can't quite get that detailed with it <laughs> with per, per customer, but we, we do like to get to know what style they ride, like where they ride. I like to say what you ride, how you ride and where you ride it. So okay. another good example is like for the, for the motocross slash adventure box, um, you can choose, you know, like th- we've got guys that like to ride in the desert versus the forest or out in the cold, even like up, up in the, up in Canada, you know, we've got some Canadian customers that like to ride their bikes in the winter. So obviously we're going to send those guys different gear as well. But, um, so that's kind of the, the, the difference between the customization options. Okay. So can you, uh, tell us a little bit about how this all started and what, what kind of prompted all of this to come around? <laughs> Cause traditionally there's been, you know, quite a culture of people, I am just before we started recording this week and I were talking about, you know, how there used to be say, you know, a big culture around uh, music stores and record shops and that's really gone away. And there's been for a long time, a big culture of people, you know, going down to their local motorcycle shop and that's going away a little bit. And so I'm kind of really curious how this kind of fits into, you know, the future. So it'd be kind of, I just kind of want to know some of how it started as well. Sure. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a really good question because, uh, it, it, <laughs> it it's interesting. Like we've only been around for about a couple of years. We're coming up on our second year now. And, um, so, so obviously a couple of years ago and even now subscription box, uh, the subscription box model took off, I, I don't know, five to 10 years ago. Um, and, and starting, starting in the beauty industry, really a couple of years ago, I was just sitting there on the couch and, you know, just trying to, I've always been the type of person to just try to come up with <laughs> cool. I, I guess I'm a, a natural born entrepreneur kind of guy. So I'm always coming up with ideas to, you know, to go out there and create businesses and stuff like that. And on the couch with my wife and we were like, just kind of brainstorming cool ideas of what we could do. And, and we, we saw some kind of subscription box commercial, I, I think on TV, we kind of looked at each other. I mean, I've been a rider for, for like 20 years. So I've been, into motorcycle gear myself for a very long time and kind of just popped into my head like 
not quite randomly, but just just uh, where where the market was going with these subscription boxes. I've always been kind of interested in this model myself, but then like what what could I do with it? Because it's like you know, girls have like there's a million different makeup boxes, and even dogs have a subscription box. It's like okay, and then it, that really kind of popped into my head. I'm like, okay, I think it was a dog subscription box, like BarkBox commercial I saw. And, like, how is it that dogs have a subscription box, but bikers don't, <laughs> you know, like right. that idea just kind of popped into my head from seeing that somehow like kind of at random almost. It's been a couple of years. So I almost don't, don't remember exactly how, how it popped up and in, into fruition. But from there, it just kind of, I, I was trying to think of different ideas I could do for the motorcycle industry before that. And I was like thinking of, kind of maybe online school to like to train people how to do different, um, you know, riding techniques. But I was like, eh, no, you know, there's YouTube for that and all this stuff. And, and I started researching when, when the subscription box idea popped in my head, I was like researching that. I was like, wow, there really isn't, there isn't anything like that yet. And I, you know, I just thought it would be sense that, that also combined with my knowledge of, of motorcycle brands from my complete obsession of, of motorcycling for the past 20 years. I mean, I've, I've, I've had tons of gear and since the advent of social media, um, primarily like Instagram, I've learned that there are a ton of different companies that are making these rad products like all across the board and for motorcyclists. And when you go to a website like Revzilla, not to name names, or like, you know, JP Cycle or, you know, even Amazon to look for motorcycle gear, you, you don't see, I, w I wasn't seeing the same brands that I was seeing, like, you know, on, on social media. And that also kind of led to, led me to think, well, it'd be really rad if, if the subscription box could include small brands, you know, to get their introduced out there, um, like a promotional vehicle for them, you know, because I, a lot, a lot of the big stores, yeah, won't, won't work with the small guys. Okay. I don't know that that all kind of came came about full circle, I, I suppose, <laughs> and then turned into this this mess of biker gear club. I like this small brand thing. Can, can you mention some of the, the the smaller brands and products that you guys send out that people might not be aware of? Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> that's I mean that's really a big focus of what we do because uh, as and I didn't really think it would be. You know that fully because I obviously we wanted to work with the big brands too and brands we trust and we know. But yeah, there's great brands out there like a, a company I, I discovered online called Trip Machine. They make these outstanding leather products um, made by hand, like you know, like from saddlebags to you know wallets and just cool key fobs and and they even make this really neat product that's like a, a magnetic tank pouch. Um, out of leather and just really cool little, you know, useful items that are lifestyle items, but also really functional. There's, there's like thousands of different <laughs> like apparel companies out there, you know, guys that are motorcycle enthusiasts and, and riders themselves that might, you know, it's a very artistic kind of realm, the, the biker world. And so these guys might come up with the, their own brand name and, and start making t-shirts and just start doing t-shirts like, like efficacy, um, company. And there's one called dark water classic. There's, there's really just so many, there's grifter and, um, prism cycle. And there's, there's just so many, I, I mean, 
they just keep the list could go on and on really fresh oil and co um, that they just make these really rad like lifestyle brands that you know they promote through instagram but we we work with a lot of those type companies that make small batch kind of t-shirts and hats and stuff like that that bikers can really never have enough of i mean i know i can't i have probably a thousand <laughs> and I, I can never have enough so um yeah, so yeah I, I mean i do have a a, a pile of Moto GP shirts in my closet. That's pretty much just multiplying by itself at this point. Right. <laughs> it's, it's like our, our passion and love for motorcycles to share that with the world somehow. And the best way to do that sometimes is just through, you know, wearing, wearing it on a shirt or a hat. So, um, so okay. a lot of our members, have you, you know, guys enjoy um, that. Uh, so have you guys thought of possibly, uh, getting together with maybe, uh, a medium size or larger brand or even a small brand so the size doesn't matter and creating some sort of product that would be exclusive to biker gear club yeah yeah definitely we've we've actually um we've already done that with a, a brand i mentioned called Darkwater classic uh just something we started out something simple and we just um did a it was a co-branded key fob so uh, it was like a but it was really well done it had this really nice kind of military style carabiner clip and, you know, just something to clip your keys on that, you know, something small that all, all bikers would be able to use. And so, yeah, we, the guy I worked with, he, he co-branded it. So he made a, a, a leather brander of a, a biker gear club and, um, and dark water classic on one side. So we, we did that and we're, we're very into, into doing collaborations like that, um, into the future as well. Um, so we're, we're always looking for new brands that, that want to do that and are excited about that as well, because that is something that's kind of neat, giving our members something exclusive from a brand that they might know or might not have heard of before. That's always in the fore, forefront of our mind. You know, sometimes it takes a little extra time to do it. And like I said, we've only been out for two years. So I think the collaborations will probably just continue to get bigger and better and um, more exciting for, for our members. Okay. I, you know, one of the, the, one of the big reasons I wanted to talk to you is I kind of walk through life really confused by most people's actions and, you know, their spending habits even, and I'll see <laughs> something where I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, I, why is this useful to people? And I have to admit right, when right. I thought about like box services in general, I kind of thought, well, this is insane. Why would I just give over, you know, a hundred and sixty bucks or whatever of my money to someone else and just trust them to spend it for me? That sounds crazy. And then I thought, well, well, hold on, I've got some sort of capacity to actually talk to the person responsible for this and, yeah, figure, yeah, and, get, no, and get to the bottom great. of it. So. I get that I'm a person that's difficult to market to because I'm, I've been struggling for a while. I'm like, you know, like everyone like says they hate millennials. They have a problem with millennials, although no one can agree on what the definition of a millennial is. And I finally realized, <laughs> Oh, it's just a person who's not old. Right. But uh, you know, I'm right, 35, right. so I'm not young, but I'm not old. Right. You know, I've got right. kids, yep. but they're young, but like they're not, toddlers but you know what i'm in the middle of everything and and so i'm like okay what is it about this service that's different you know so i you know as soon as you mentioned uh promoting smaller brands 
and having you know exclusive product, all of a sudden now I'm much more interested. If it really is a question mark on what's going to show up, and if you do have or are building a reputation where, hey, the whole point really is you don't know. Something's going to show up in this box that you're going to be super jazzed about, but we can't even really tell you about what it is because, you know, it could be anything. Is that sort of the the vibe? Is that what you've just got to, is that the idea that you have to buy into to be into this? Yeah, you nailed it. You definitely nailed it. And uh, yeah, I, I'm a millen- I'm part millennial myself. I'm 37. So I'm kind of part millennial, part Gen X person myself. So I, I even had kind of, I had to go through a, a quite a bit of time processing what, what this was that I was building this in this company and, and yeah, how, how it would well. And yeah, it's not for everybody, you know, it's it, especially bikers, motorcyclists. Uh, it's, and there's some people that are just really picky about what they want in their gear. And I totally get it. And you know what? I'll, I'll be the first one. I, I've done tons of events, talk to people in person and I'm, I'll tell them right off that. This is not for you. It's okay. But you know what? You, you might have a, a wife or a husband or, or sister or brother that a gift and they know how picky and hard you are to buy for. But at least when they come to a company like biker gear club, and pick a box, they know that there's going to be some kind of expert behind the wheel curating this box based on their knowledge of, of motorcycle gear. So that I think that's where, um, you know, we get a lot of people, their dad or their brother or, you know, or their mom or their sister or whoever it is, um, for the experience. But it's interesting because you have to trust us, you know, you, you have to trust that we, we, uh, know what what kind of products you know are good and and that's that's something we when we launched um surprised we were just happy to see that people i mean a lot of our members have stayed signed up since the very beginning and they keep getting monthly boxes and they love it they love the experience they they write to us and they you know they're just so excited that they got these products and you know that they never heard of before or whatever and they've just improved their their daily motorcycle commute or whatever it is um and I think that's because we really focus on making sure that the products we ship to people are are M products. These are good quality things. So no, so even if you're a really picky motorcyclist, you know, we're pair of gloves. You're going to at least appreciate the fact that they're high quality piece of equipment that isn't just cheap junk. <laughs> and uh, I mean, overall, yeah, it's not for everybody, but but the the whole um, I guess it's coming across through the website and the way we're we're showing our, our way we're representing ourselves on social media that yes it is a surprise but at the same time if you're you know you're completely like just like oh not impressed with what you got you know you can you can easily get a hold of us um, and we do everything we can to make your experience a good one so we'll we'll swap out gear whatever based on you know how picky the the writer is or or you know um so if you get that duplicate back protector you can be like hey guys you know you nailed it like 80 percent. can we make this one little adjustment and that's not the end of the world it's not the end of the world at all we're not very we're not as strict as a lot of subscription box companies in other uh in other industries um because yeah going into this we knew that it was going to be tricky to, to please everyone, you know, and of course you can't please everyone, but we're going to try our best. 
yeah, that is something that we'll do for you. Like we might not have, uh, you know, anything. Like if they, if, if you don't like that back protector, you know, you just write to us and we're like, we might have three or four other things from previous shipments or something like that, that we can swap out for you. And we'll give you, you know, some other options. And, and yeah, we've been fortunate that, you know, that's always worked out that system. So I can see a lot of people out there who might think, you know, I've got this $1,500 uh, riding suit and I've got a top of the line helmet, all my gear, I bought all my tools and I feel like my motorcycle, my motorcycle inventory is complete. But that person may also mm-hmm. not know about the Cramp Buster, which is an amazing little $15 at most device that will <laughs> save yep. your life on a, on a long motorcycle trip. Is there a way to customize what you'll get so you can just say, send me every gadget, no matter how ridiculous it, it sounds, and use it as kind of a discovery service to find new gadgets and things, as opposed to saying, you know, I'm, you know, saying I'm, I'm good for gloves, I'm good for boots, and I like that gear, but I'm just looking for new things and new gadgets. Hmm. Well, I like to think we're we're like that right out the gate. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's it's we don't we don't have that specifically, but I, that's what I like about this uh, this conversation we're having because you know that could be something really cool that we could add add to our website's uh, customization form. Um, we're always looking to improve it, so so we love taking feedback like this and, and trying to figure out ways to working it in because. Um, that's where we're really different than your typical retail website Do stuff like that with our website. We can make it more interesting by adding something like that. Like it could be just like a box of the craziest, you know, tools ever. And, and we could just ship you some weird, crazy tools, you know, that fit your bike. I like that idea, but, but I guess to answer your question, we, we don't really, we don't have, we, like I said, we just think of ourselves as being like that right off the bat, you know, um, you're going to get a mystery <laughs> box of stuff. Um, and hopefully it's a, a, a good mystery box of stuff. And like I said, we've, we've been very fortunate that everybody's really enjoyed the, the products they've gotten. Yeah. Maybe it's like a fifth and sixth profile, you know, maybe you have a, a profile of just the mechanic and a profile of just, you know, the gadget. Freak. I, Right. Yeah. We, we had that early on actually, uh, when we were creating these categories, I mean, you know, uh, with, with sport and street rider and standard and cruiser. And then we've got the vintage and cafe racer. One of the, one of the vendors that I was working with early on was like, why don't you have the, the custom bike builder box? And, you know, I was like, Oh, that's, that's a really rad idea. Um, you know, I said, well, we have like the, the vintage and cafe racer. And I just kind of assumed, you know, it's, it's never good to assume stuff, but, um, kind of assume that the people that ride those styles of bikes are usually the DIY custom bike builders. Um, we're already curating gear for, for them, but, but that's something that I think we want to do, um, in the future is, is yeah, add these other categories as, you know, as we get more information from people, more feedback, create, yeah, more of a detail, even more detailed, um, curated experience for people, because that's, that's what we're all about is really making it because people that work on bikes 
uh, as you guys know, you guys are bike lovers, you know, you love customizing your motorcycle and we do the same thing with the box. We customize the box and it's all about that custom culture and customization options. And we just, obviously we're, we're new, um, and young and we couldn't, we couldn't spread ourselves too thin where we had like a million customization options out, out the gate. <laughs> so we, we had to draw the line somewhere. Our first form was like way too long because that's the other thing you got to take into account when you're setting up a website. Um, you know, you don't want a form or, you know, some kind of survey system that takes a half hour to go through before you reach the checkout stage. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I would caution you, about. I would caution you there a little bit in that, there is a certain breed of motorcyclist who is very keen on a categorizing himself down to a niche population of one. So you, you got to be a little careful I, here in how you yeah. set up the groups, but I'm an adventure commuter, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there are those guys. yeah. All right. So best friend right there. Yeah. Adventure commuter. <laughs> there's been uh yeah. So we, we've gotten a lot into what your service is and trust me, we're going to get back to that. I think it's time to kind of take a little step back and focus a little bit more on you. We've got a couple interview questions that we ask everybody. So this is, this is all part of it. Trust me. So we, we've established that, you know, you, you've been a, you've been a writer for a while and we've gotten into a little bit how you uh, got this company going around. Let's go back real far. Cause you said you've been riding for 20 years what was your first bike and what are you riding now? <laughs> well, my, my first bike, uh, my first street bike, I'm actually, um, I, I am, I would classify myself as a, a sport rider enthusiast. So my very first bike was a 1994 Suzuki Katana and it was, had the bright, purple and teal and orange and yellow graphics kit. <laughs> uh, very 90s, very, very, you know, Fresh Prince style uh, Katana. That was my first street bike. I'm um, sorry. I, <laughs> <laughs> I loved that thing so much and it was such a piece of shit. I mean, that thing would break down like all the time just because, I mean, it was used, but at the same time it was like... Um, it, you know, it wasn't completely fuel injected. It was carburetor problems and it was always following up plugs. So every, every time I'd go to the movie theater and then I had to call my sister cause it broke down, <laughs> you know, for a ride back home. It isn't very impressive when you're trying to go on a date, <laughs> but, no. but man, I was just so, so sold on, on that. When I first started getting into street bikes, I was just like, man, this is, this is awesome. Um, well, we're about the yeah, same age. Before that was like every dirt bike. There, there was a brief window in time when Katana almost had the same Zaz as Ninja. Like oh, yeah, real for sure. Brief, you know, like when I was in like fourth, fifth grade, you know, someone would be like, oh, my brother got a Katana. <laughs> and we'd be like, get the fuck out, you know. But that was a very brief window because, yeah, it didn't take really that 90s. long for for the, the world to realize it's not the greatest bike in the world. But, you know, we all love oh, yeah. our first bike. You know, looking back on it, I have definitely got rose-colored glasses for my 650 Nighthawk. Wasn't as great as I thought it was. Right, right. That's that's part of the fun of it being your first. You know, you're just, like, so enthralled by it, like, because, you know, you don't really know any better. You, you, it's your first. You you, yeah. you haven't had all that experience on the different bikes. So, so yeah, with me and my Katana, man, I, I, I was just like, man, this thing is like, 
this is a super sport bike. This is, I, I thought it was like, you know, just as good as a, a Gixxer, you know, right. R1 or anything like that. I was just like, oh my God, this thing is amazing. You know, I took it to the track and, you know, rode it with a square tire and, and learned some lessons there the hard way. Um, got, got the nickname square tire there from, the, from the veterans there at the track. <laughs> that was a good one. That, that stuck. But, you know, once I added the GSXR graphics kit to it later on, that made it oh, way cooler. That's good for like 15 horsepower. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's that's what made me confident in taking it to the track and, and doing some track days. Oh, yeah. Okay. So what do you want? I was beating oh. some Ducatis. <laughs> okay. What, what are you on now? I'm, now my, my uh, near and dear baby is my 2009 Yamaha R1. Okay. Uh, and then, yeah, that, that was, that's a step up. I've had some Jixers in the past and then I, I got the, the R1 in, in 2009 and I've, I've just, I've completely like made it pretty much street illegal, you know, even though I still mostly ride it on the street, <laughs> okay. but that, that's pretty much my baby now. I mean, I, I love that thing. It's a beast and, and, you know, I just get the new bike bug, but I always have now I have my friends or my coworkers kind of go off and buy buy bikes and then I live vicariously through them and and might get to sit on it for a while but I've just put so much love and 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 customization into my bike into that model that <laughs> I just don't want to get rid of it and I made the mistake of selling my my uh a 2006 GSXR 750 uh at, back in the day and and I regretted it ever since and so I was like after that I was like I'm never going to sell uh you know sell a motorcycle if i love it that much and i put that much time and effort into it again <laughs> so okay. so yeah it's old now i mean it's 10 years old but it's still in really good shape so well i'm a sport bike guy too so i feel you it's sadly we're becoming a rare breed everyone wants an adventure bike or a cruiser or something like i don't know when i was a kid like sport bikes were just the fucking coolest thing you know exactly I'm right there with you, man. Yeah, and I was just having a conversation this weekend at an event uh, with with some some people, and, and we were saying that now it's there's so many different um, subcategories and subclasses of motorcycles um, that it's really hard to pick which one you know you want to ride or what what type of rider you are because you know now they got all the new the new ad uh, rehashed like scrambler style, and, and you know you got these. These ones that are designed like the Vitpelen kind of like these these city ride yeah. bikes and, and you know there's just so many so many kind of subclasses it's hard to pick and back in our day I guess and not to date us but it's like yeah there was sport bikes cruisers and like dirt bikes and yeah. even adventure bikes have come so far since since the early 90s you know it's like yeah now there's just these crazy beasts that do so much. I, I do often think I, that's that's going to be my next uh, thing is getting some you know like a, a a twin or something like that like just to have that in the in the garage and I kind of need one of every category because yeah I'm the founder of Biker Gear Club so it just kind of makes sense to have one of each. But yeah. <laughs> there's there's only so much time I have so yeah I wouldn't mind having a few Harleys and a couple Indians and you know all that stuff but I I give I you to permission it. to be awesome and buy whatever the fuck you want. It's it's kind of amazing all the unique ways that we find to convince ourselves that more motorcycles is a responsible decision. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Because, you know, you, you, you do need something that you can't take the R1 out, even on slight gravel. So you got to have a, a, a crazy adventure bike that's like $25,000, you know, or something like that <laughs> to, yeah, yeah. To, to go slightly off road and on road. And, you know, you, to go straight, you got to take you got to get a $30,000 cruiser, you know, so it's like, look, honey, this yeah. is important. This is market research. There you go. <laughs> Exactly. See, I have that permission, yeah, too, from from my wife, and yeah, it, it's, it, it's like, it, how am I going to test this bandana on the R one? Not going to exactly, happen. exactly. There's so many products that I that I've tested and tried now in each category. That yeah, I, I definitely need one of each. I like that. Yeah, that's a good. Question. My argument as, as 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 the founder of Biker Gear Club, are, are you just overflowing with bike shit like everywhere? You find you having trouble finding room for it? Like, are you just like washing the dishes with do rags? Yeah. Oh <laughs> God! Buffs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any way to test products? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Washing the dishes. Yeah, the the different. You would not believe how many different types of microfiber cloths there are. I had no idea until my friends over at Shinebox, which they manufacture some wonderful uh, motorcycle cleaning products. They're they're genius chemists. And they they said, yeah, there's so many different kinds of microfiber towels. And I didn't realize that till them. And it was, it was like, oh my gosh, it's like when you go in to buy sheets for your bed. There's like the the 600 like uh, Egyptian linen cloth, and then there's the thousand thread count. And the, <laughs> the same thing is true with with microfiber cloths. So something I never really wanted to know that much about. Um, now I do. So yeah, it's kind of like. Partial curse, but it's also fun. I mean, I've always been a been fascinated by products, um, so it's it's cool. I'll take it. Okay, so now we're going to move on to our second interview question, which is: um, You said you've been writing for twenty years. That's that's a fair amount of time. What's the most significant thing that's ever happened to you on your motorcycle in that twenty years? Oh man. <laughs> Besides all, all the, the crashing and stuff like that, I, well, I guess it was. Well, hold on. I'll say it doesn't have to be like, you know, a life changing moment. Like, I, you know, I phrase this question sure. a lot of yeah. different ways. You know, what's the craziest thing or the funniest thing? You know, just what's a what's a big moment for you on the motorcycles? Oh, man. Well, I think I think one of the there's a couple big moments, but one of one of the biggest moments happened early on in my my riding days. And and it. it at the time, it was kind of terrifying. Um, I lived in a, I grew up in a small town um, in the west side of Michigan. Um, it was right when I started riding it on the street, and I and I had that katana, and I just, me and my my siblings were planning this trip to go to uh, Cedar Point. The it's the it's a big like uh, theme park. I know Cedar Point. We still live in Indiana. That wasn't far from us. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, I grew up in like the Grand Rapids area in Michigan. So, oh, I um, went to probably... school in Big Rapids. <laughs> Not too far apart. Yeah, wow. right on. So, so, anyways, so um, trip to go go out there. And it was right after, soon after I got that bike, and I was just like, "All right, well, you know, why? I mean, why not? <laughs> yeah. Why not take a take a bike that's unreliable, like?" on a, on a six, six or seven hour road trip. 
and then so, have to ride it so, again yeah. after six hours of waiting in lines and riding roller coasters. Riding roller sun. coasters, yeah. yeah. You won't exactly, be tired you know? after that. Yeah, you'll totally yeah. feel like a road trip. Yeah. <laughs> that was like 20 or so. So it seemed like a good idea at the time, right? And, you know, I, I checked the weather. This was like kind of pre, you know, super, there's pre-smartphones and, you know, yeah. weather apps. And so, you know, I was like, check the weather on the TV before you go, oh, okay, it looks cool. But, you know, I'd plan out and check what it would be like on the way back. And so, you know, we rode out there and it was fine. And then we even camped. And then the next day, like, it started raining. And I was just like, okay, that's, you know, I can, I can handle that. I can handle a little bit of rain. You know, you ride out of the rain, right? Typically, like there's, it's never for more than a half hour, an hour or something like that. But, but no, it, it was, it was an entire seven hour ride back <laughs> in downpour, not just rain, but it was downpouring rain the entire way back from Toledo, Ohio to Grand Rapids. And I, I was lucky enough that, you know, I went with a group of people and they were the smart ones that took the, <laughs> And so I was kind of following them, you know, on the freeway or whatever. But yeah, this was one of my first like experiences. Uh, and it's kind of stuck with me ever since, like riding like seven hours in the rain. And I think I went through maybe like a dozen like gas station ponchos um, because I didn't have any gear at the time. Maybe that's kind of what led me into getting obsessed with motorcycle gear because I, I then realized the importance of, of, you know, preparing and having weather gear and stuff like that and obviously i was on a, a sport touring bike the tires weren't the best for for riding on slick surfaces but and somehow i miraculously survived um i survived that journey but it was it was one of the most miserable motorcycle trips of my entire life uh, and i'll never forget it but when i got back and i finally told my mom what i did and she didn't kill me um it was it was uh it was so, and I was so soaked to the bone that I, I just, yeah, I don't think I needed to drink any water for like a, an entire two days. Oh yeah. On but those yeah, kinds of was, rides, you're yeah. worried, like, am I developing trench foot? Like what's going on? Uh, it was bad. I, and you know, back at the time when I was like 20, I, I did not have the best gear. I had, you know, I think I had a pair of, of boots, but yeah, they were not, <laughs> They were not for the rain. And, and yeah, I just, I thought I was going to ride out of it, you know, an hour. And I was like, oh, yeah, we'll get out. And it kept going and go, it kept raining and raining, downpour, 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 never let up. So when we took breaks, we took breaks. So and I think at, like probably every Denny's we stopped at on the way back, everybody looked at me like I was a lunatic. Like, why are you riding your motorcycle? But I had no other way to, to get back, really. So yeah, you can't just leave the bike. You're committed. Exactly totally committed yeah totally that committed. is one of those things about motorcycle trips no matter what kind of trip you leave on the bike and you're just kind of tethered to the bike yeah there's not a yeah. real great infrastructure you know for something you know like there's there's the your, your car really fucking breaks down you know it's it's <laughs> weirdly easier to get that shipped back home to you and rent a car or something else you know but with the bike, you're really kind of tied to the bike. And there aren't very many like towing services for motorcycles or there weren't at the time, you know, there weren't, <laughs> it was mostly privateer kind of towing guys that would drive around pickup trucks that could come pick you up. But, 
tow trucks wouldn't come get you if you break down or you broke down. <laughs> so. right. Well, a tow truck can pick you up. It's just they won't because they're not either specifically covered to do that or they're worried about liability and expertise in doing it. Like they, they totally exactly. could. They just don't because they're dicks. You've got to get, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. it's a great reason to be an AMA member. You can get that done. But okay. So let's move yep. on to our, our final interview question. And this is the big one. All right. Do you oh. think when you're on the motorcycle, you might be a different person? Hmm. A different person. Um, I, I, I think so. I, I think there's something about being on, on the bike, especially like when you're on, uh, like, you know, like an R1 or, you know, even if you're on some kind of 1200 Harley, uh, with all that power, I think it just kind of, it, it goes, goes to your head a little bit and you, you for me, yeah, I, I feel, you know, more badass than I really am. It kind of, it kind of turns you into superhero mode. <laughs> so, so yeah, I definitely see that. It probably happens to a lot of sport riders because you even the physical change when you put on your, your one piece leather suit, you turn into like Spider-Man or 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 an avenger or something like that <laughs> and you even get comments from people so yeah hell yeah i'd say it definitely kind of turns you into a, a different person um in a for for me in a good way i mean it makes i i don't i don't necessarily take more risks or anything but i just i feel more empowered and 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 just badass sit just sitting on the damn thing <laughs> i don't i don't need to go to prove myself go you know a hundred and 50 miles an hour down the freeway, like, you know, some riders who <laughs> I don't go that far with it, but yeah, I, I think that I just, it makes me feel better. Like it, it, it's a confidence booster and it makes you feel. And I, I guess that that could be, I, I mean, I feel like a badass all the time, but it just makes me feel more badass there you go. on the bike. So <laughs> I could see how someone with like low self-esteem or, you know, feel, you know, could get on a motorcycle and feel like super empowered, you know, but for me, it's, it's more of a subtle change, but it's definitely a change. It's definitely, uh, it's definitely there. I tend to kind of forget about, I, I get really focused on, on, you know, just being on the bike and being one with the bike. So it changes me out of, um, my work mindset or my family life mindset and the different person. Um, yeah, like I think sometimes if you ask me a question, if you call into my, you know, my Cena and you ask me a question, I might give you a slightly different answer than I would have if I was just standing still in my kitchen, you know? For sure. Not, not, we not, should redo like this interview on our bike. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. I, I have seen a couple of YouTube video, uh, channels where people kind of just vlog straight from their bikes, like um, like multiple people at once. And they kind and of yeah. claim that their conversations, you know, a little different than they might have had otherwise. So, I mean, of course, yeah. you get the regular vloggers just doing it, but you know, how much are they kind of riding in the moment, and how much are they aware that you know there's ten thousand yeah. people watching them? It's a weird thing, you know. So, and I, I, you know, not many people um, have uh, dived that deep into it. So, I always like to ask people that question. So, let's kind of rewind back to uh, to Biker Gear Club again because there's still so many questions I have about how this works. So, you know, you said like, you know, you might get some duplicates or whatever, you know, but the point is, is what's going to show up is kind of unknown. Now 
I, I kind of want to focus on that. The fact that the draw is the unknown. It seems it's difficult to talk about specifically what your service does because that's the whole allure. So, mm-hmm. you know, it seems you kind of probably rely on a lot of testimonials, right? Is there like a great example of just like a little piece of gear you sent out in a bunch of boxes and maybe even thought it was just filler. Like, I don't know what this is and just got a huge response. You didn't expect on it. (laughs) Um, let me think about that for a minute. Hmm. I mean, it's shattering, but you know, just a, a bit of a surprise, like, Oh, we didn't know people would connect this way with this particular thing. Yeah, yeah, you know, I I think it was probably um, it was probably that tank pouch that we sent out that that was that got a lot of and it, it wasn't a little thing it was a it was a big thing but that people were just they were surprised by it um, yeah, for whatever reason they're you know they just fell in love with this this product and and I I do you know you know I work with some other guys that ride in different categories and stuff like that when we're picking out these items. And I think that also gives us an edge because we are all experienced riders on different types of bikes. And so we kind of have experience and background knowing what the typical products are. So we try to steer away from that a little bit, find more unusual kind of gear items. I mean, outside of the the typical, you know, like t-shirt or hats or stuff like that. But, but that one was kind of cool because it was really unique. Even we hadn't seen a product that was, quite like that that versatile how is it different from like a regular magnetic tank bag um well this one specifically is like the styling of it was it's kind of like vintage um and it was it's just it's very small like a lot of magnetic tank bags are you know um i mean heck i even put on my sport bike (laughs) because because i styles too so i'm uh, my style is like a combination of sport and vintage and <laughs> adventure all all wound up together i don't strictly like dress like sporty or you know like biker style right. um so so i think the style was really unique um because it was it's it was really small like just big enough to fit your essentials and a lot of tank bags are you know kind of big and bulky and have straps all over the place um, this thing was quite literally just, it just looks like a, that you just slap on your tank <laughs> and, and you can even take it off and throw it on your belt. Like it's got a belt loop thing too, which is kind of cool. And I thought that was, you know, I like, I like finding products that are multi-purpose and versatile so that even if a, a biker gets it and they're like, Oh, I can't put this on my tank for whatever reason, they could use it as a, as a tool pouch or something like that, or throw it in a saddlebag. Um, I, I think that was one of the surprise products that got a lot of good feedback. I'm sure there's something I'm forgetting because we do we have sent out so many different products and there there are like always like the random throw in there um, that people just love. I we did throw in a cramp buster product at one point um, for cruisers that you know go on long commutes and really good feedback as well. Yeah, that's I don't, we're constantly amazed by that. It, it was we were on a road trip once me and Swiggy. And, um, I mean, we were putting in a lot of miles, a lot of miles. And I made a point. I said, we've got to stop. I've looked ahead. There's a shop. We're going to pull off just for three minutes. Seriously. I'm going to run inside and we're going to buy one of these for you. And Swiggy was so skeptical. 
was like, how, <laughs> how is this really going to make a difference? And it was like yeah. 20 miles down the road. I was like, so how's that cramp buster working for you? And Swigs, you were just like, you were like, I, you said something like, I have to just totally eat my words here. This thing's amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that was just a little piece of plastic. Yeah. <clears throat> I think I was just starting my third year of riding at that point. And I was still in this phase of, oh, why would anybody need a Cena? Why do I need, like, the nose guard and the chin guard, like, on my helmet to deflect breath and wind? I'm just going to strip everything down to the bare essentials. And when when you showed up with this little piece of plastic, I was like, what, so I don't have to turn the throttle as much? Seriously? That's all? No, I, I don't need this. And, of course... Every time we swapped bikes, it would be, no, I've got to have my cramp buster. And <laughs> I kind of held fast for the first 1,200 miles. And then, you know, as you start the third day of riding, it all, and it finally gets to you. And then, and then oh, yeah. I got, then I had it. And all of a sudden it was just, you know, it was, it's, it was the, uh, it was the throttle equivalent of like taking the weight belt off, like all of a exactly. sudden, all of a sudden, it was fun to ride again. Right. <laughs> I could have used one on my trip from uh, Toledo to Grand Rapids. That's for sure. There you go. So yeah, we've been going. Uh, I think coming up on an hour now, and this has been fantastic. Do you want to uh, sit in for some other segments with us, or wrap this up? Are you pressed for time or anything? Oh, I'm actually off the clock. All right, so this is awesome. What do you say we take a break here for a second and come back and do best bike, worst bike this week? And I think that's what we're going to do now. So here we go. Everyone, here's your disclaimer. Every week, we pick two different motorcycles to be the best and worst bike in the world this week. Swig and I alternate who has what, and we don't know what each other have. It's a surprise. Now, if your feelings are hurt, you know, just deal with it, okay? Because it's just for this week. There'll be a new one next week. It's okay. But if you got to tell us about it, here you go. Send that email to contact at nokamotopodcast.com and we'll work it through. You know, we'll work through you. We'll work through it with you. It's going to be okay. And as the catchphrase reads on the hot new t-shirt everyone's getting in their biker gear club boxes this month, there's no crying in motorcycles. <laughs> but for real, you're not getting that t-shirt in the box. Anyway, so here we go. We've got, Swiggy, you have the worst bike in the world this week? I do. Okay. Are you ready to reveal it? I am. And the worst bike in the world this week is? The BMW R9T. Oh, shit. You're doing back-to-back BMWs. I am. Okay. So what do we hate about this? So overall, this is, performance-wise and quality-wise, a very good bike. Mm -hmm. And it's really based off of sort of the, you know, it's the 1200cc oil-cooled motor that went into the RT, into the RS, and a whole bunch of other BMWs. If it's a big-ass BMW twin, it's probably this motor or a variant of it, yes. Yeah, and the frame and the and the 
and the forks and everything are also kind of in that category in that style as well uh-huh now what this bike is doing that's unacceptable is that it is trying to fulfill a huge number of roles and it doesn't really do any of them all that well that's what i was hoping you were going to say this thing pisses me off because i hear people call it like neo retro i hear people call it classic looking i hear people calling it sports naked it's trying to be everything and i don't think it really is anything it's just sort of a jumbled mess of a bike well what it really is is kind of it's bmw's ujm almost it's trying to be almost as neutral as possible and i think it's specifically in the in the retro aspect that it's kind of doing what the CB1100 ended up doing, which was it was kind of something thrown together. There are a few unique parts, but it's kind of mostly parts bin and recycling a lot of stuff that already existed. And it's displacing a proper throwback bike. See, I'm genuinely confused because when I look at this, I don't see a single component or aspect of it that is throwback. But what be, maybe, okay, it has a round headlight. Well, that's this one in particular. The, they do do it in several different trims. And that's where they're kind of they're trying to, I mean, it's not as egregious as the 48 dozen different Moto Guzzi V7s. It's yeah, not, okay. It's, yeah. not, it's not that bad in terms of trying to rebrand the exact same bike as several different things, but it's, it's in a weird place where there are a lot of people who do like this bike, Uh but it's always in some weird niche category where it's the fact that you have an R9 T, but it's also trying to do a few other things. So you can't really market this as, you can't even remotely market this as a beginner's bike, for example. Right. So if you buy it as a retro bike, if, if you're an older guy and you wanted something that kind of felt like the bike you had before, you can go and you can get uh, a triumph Bonneville. Yeah. And yeah, it has like 30 more horsepower than the old, the original Bonneville you might've had back in the day or, you know, 25 or so. And maybe a bit more torque, but it's going to feel, you know, compared to newer bikes, it's going to give you a similar feel and a bit of a nostalgia factor without it breaking down every thousand miles. This is going to be double any classic uh, BMW that you had back in the day. So if you're buying it for a nostalgia factor, it's not going to really give it to you, give you that in the way it rides. And it's also a little too new and a little too neo-retro in that regard as well. Now, if you want just a naked bike, it can fulfill that role somewhat. But it's not going to fit in with all the other Street Fighters. So it's trying to do all these different things, but it doesn't really excel at any one of them. It And it's kind of... Much yeah, much like the CB eleven hundred, you know, it's kind of like doing your homework the night before. It's like C plus success. So 
people might wonder, why am I so annoyed that it's this jumble of things and doesn't make a lot of sense? Well, it's still a good riding bike, Pete. What's the big deal? I see it as a symptom of how and I've talked about this a little bit before on the show, how picky people are about motorcycles and how it's hard to have a runaway success with a bike because, you know, you get your your um your Ducati Scramblers and your Triumph Bonnevilles and whatever. They're just these big runaway successes and loads of people go out and buy one. And everyone's trying to come up with this motorcycle that has this sort of Instagrammy lifestyle thing to it and has this classic thing to it, has this modern thing to it. And you end up with these bikes like this that I think are just kind of difficult to look at. And Instagram I'm, bike is definitely the, the term for it. Right. So I'm super glad we've got Bob here because Bob's way more clued in to this sort of stuff, <laughs> way more than us. So when you think Bob, when you think about the the R ninety guy, right? Uh, what kind of yeah. comes to mind? And you know, you don't have to say anything bad or anything. It's just like I can't pick. I don't have. I do this a lot, and I don't have R ninety guy in my head. Right? You mentioned just about any other bike, and I can kind of conjure something up. But R ninety guy really defies description for me. <laughs> it's it's um I actually have an interesting story about this because we we've actually had one of our members was a R9T rider. It's kind of what you guys are talking about like it, it doesn't quite know what it what it's doing or what it is. Just like this member who I won't say name of course, but um signed up for a like or a sport rider box first of all and then um, I think they tried that out and then they ended up switching to like the vintage style box for another month, which is something we allow, you know, our members to, to kind of switch it up. And I, I wondered why, why they did that. But yeah, once I looked into the bike a little bit more, I mean, I've never actually sat on one. I mean, I kind of like, I, I don't hate it because like I was saying earlier in the interview, I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, I, I have like that sport bike mentality. I like I like to go fast and, and I like something sleek and modern, but yet like my, my lifestyle wear stuff, the stuff I wear, uh, you know, around more of, I guess like that vintage style kind of thing. I like, I like that style as far as like dress goes. So, and this, this is that bike that's like you guys said, is kind of trying to do both of those things all at once. And I had, and and it makes perfect sense. It doesn't make perfect sense to me, but it kind of makes sense that that member, that biker gear club member chose a sport rider box and then switch to a vintage rider box you probably kind of get a little bit of both for that model of bike and Wait, there aren't a lot of bikes that, that would on. do that that watch this watch this bob so what you're saying this is this is why i make the imaginary big bucks what you're saying is <laughs> r9t guy doesn't even know who r9t guy is yes <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you nailed it. Because not all, not everybody is so specific. Like knows who they are. I guess it's for the people that are finding themselves. <laughs> I guess, which is another perfect thing for Instagram. Like you said, lifestyle. Like it's, uh, yeah. you know, millennials and younger people. Yeah, R nine T guy is is basically Triumph Thruxton guy, but he hasn't figured it all out yet. Yeah. I mean, because exactly. they're, they're very, they're actually very similar bikes. Well, the R9T is a lot bigger, 
I've seen a lot of people who kind of fit into the same category who go for either bike, especially in my world. It's kind of young professional with a lot of disposable income decides he wants to get into riding and he's kind of, he's picking a bike on based on what he thinks will be cool in his circle of friends and that was kind of the deciding factor in what he picked and money wasn't really much of an object yeah i guess that is something about it it's kind of like the most expensive rookie move you can make and it kind of hurts to see other people do it because you're like well if you wanted that kind of bike why didn't you go for this thing right it you know and i'll, I'll admit like a lot of people want a bike because it's in their mind the coolest bike and I used to think, well, no, you got to buy a bike that's really great for its function. But you have to admit, at the end of the day, part of a bike's function is kind of just making you feel fucking cool, right? You know, if you don't, we've said before, if you don't feel cool, why are you even in this game, right? If it doesn't make you feel cool, like, then you should not be doing this at all. So it's like when you see someone make a decision that makes no sense to you, you kind of feel a little bit angry, because it makes you question your own sanity. Like, you know, if this is, you know, like how much does this thing cost? Aren't these like like sixteen thousand dollars or something? Uh these uh you know, I didn't that was the one thing I didn't actually. I want to say they're this. they're kind of pricey. I mean, not that you aren't getting anything for that money, but it's a lot of money. It's not it's not eleven thousand dollars. Uh it's not eight thousand. It's it's up there. It depends on which one you get. It's it's similar to it's actually kind of in like the Ducati Supersport price range where it can be between thirteen and sixteen thousand based okay. on the package you right. get. So I mean that's a fair amount of coin to throw on something, and I don't see the R nine T being like someone's fifth bike, right? You don't ride a bunch of bikes then go, Oh, I was waiting for the R nine T, right? It's kind of like I got enough money to buy new right off the bat. I'm getting what I think is super sweet looking. And you're like, why'd you do that, bro? Like, there were so many better options like that. You know, so it's just like this bike. I only ever interact with it on this way that I just feel bad for someone else. I feel like stressed out because they bought an R90. And I know as a mature adult, I should just let it go. But I care about people in motorcycles way too much. That is my fault. And that's my burden to bear. But for that reason, the R9T is just like this stressful thing in my life. This, I haven't had a good interaction it with confuses you. <laughs> it does. It confuses me. It I I've n- I've never met anyone that's been riding for a really long time that's super jazzed about the R9T. It seems to be like the Thruxton or other other of these very stylized bikes, they kind of attract a much newer crowd. Yeah, it's sort of almost it's almost aspirational only. Yeah. I think we're gonna we're just gonna keep going around in circles at this point. It's true. <laughs> I'm sure it's, it's that confusing. I'm sure it's fine <laughs> to ride. I'm sure it's fine to ride, but I don't know how this fits into someone's life. Well, there you go. There you go. Okay. All right. Are we ready for best bike in the world this week? I think we are. Okay. This might confuse the shit out of you, but here we go. 
the best bike in the world this week is the Harley Davidson Roadster. Oh, is this our first previous best bike, now worst bike? Well, no, this is the best bike. <laughs> oh, we've already done the Roadster. Have we? We have done the Roadster. Well, it's the only thing I've prepared. I've forgotten completely about doing it before. It was but, like your, I think it was your third or fourth one. Really? Yeah. Oh, shit. All well, right, well whatever. We go. We're going to go with it because I've got a different reason, I'm sure. If okay. I talked about this before, I probably talked about how it's kind of a bike for everyone where you can kind of hang out with the Harley guys and the sport guys and the classic bike guys. But I think this is the best bike for a completely different reason. Now, this is the best bike in the world for what it isn't. So what it is, is basically just a regular Harley Davidson Sportster 1200. It's got much better raised rear suspension. It's got two 43 millimeter inverted front forks with double disc brakes. It's got a different seat. It's got lowered handlebars. It's got a different exhaust. And I think it has a larger rear tire. And so you're wondering, okay, why? It's just a different flavor of a Sportster. What's so revolutionary about that? Well, not a whole lot, except that it's not really a cruiser anymore. So that kind of brings it into more of an everyman kind of bike. And it does this throwback thing. And the throwback thing is very important. Not for, you know, you want to live out some cafe racer vintage dream, but this is very postmodern. This is sort of weirdly postmodern, does stylistically exactly what the PT Cruiser did. And I know I'm referencing regular car reviews here a little bit, but bear with me. This makes sense. So this is postmodern because Harley Davidson never did cafe racers wasn't part of the cafe racer scene, wasn't anything to do with that back in the day. Yet here they are making what is probably the most legitimate cafe racer styled bike out of the box on the market, if you think about it. Because it is a bike that was standard otherwise, modified to be simplified down to this, essentially. And it's also a model of bike that was around when cafe racers were around and has been continued to be made until now. Not exactly the same way, but essentially the same way, right? Mm -hmm. So in a way, it's almost the most legitimate cafe racer. So it kind of wins cool points for that. But again, that's still not even the reason. We're still talking about things that it is. What I want to focus on now is what it isn't or what it doesn't have. It doesn't have any fucking gadgets whatsoever it doesn't even have a tachometer right mm -hmm. there's no abs it's barely fuel injected this is just a regular old motorcycle now the only real preparation i did for this episode was i listened to that episode of high side low side the revzilla podcast which was kind of mild and meh, but I was trying to figure out there's been a lot of people talking at large about all these gadgets and motorcycling and does it add or detract from the experience, right? And I thought, yeah, like how many bikes now don't feature 
some sort of feature in their advertising, right? Bikes are just all kind of great now. So a lot of them are sold on their equipment, what they come with, what they get. They have, you know, all of a sudden everyone's talking about TFT displays and whatever, right? Like personally, I couldn't give a shit. If you're showing me my RPM in a needle or as a number or even a fake digital needle, like I really don't care, right? I care a lot more about what that RPM actually is than how that's being shown to me. But that's not everybody's way that they go about it, you know? Some people really do care about that display. So in the Harley Roadster, what you've got is a lot of just kind of mild and bare bones of everything. I mean, when we look at the specs, because it's just regular Sportster specs, it's the same 67 horsepower at the crank that a regular Sportster 1200 is. You know, even that number there, you've got that 67. That's just enough horsepower to get everything done, right? You can hit 100 miles an hour, but only just barely, right? You can accelerate in traffic with um, 70 foot-pounds of torque, which is pretty damn good. It's not earth-shattering, but it's good. You're going to feel it, right? Yeah, I actually I test rode this bike down at AIM. Right. And it does, like, like all other Harleys, it does fall off once you get you know above half of redline. But off the line, it does feel really good. And it's it's actually a lot smaller in person than you would think. Right. It's a really compact package. And in that way, it does very much fit the, 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 the classic Cafe Racer aesthetic very well. So what I like about this motorcycle is in almost kind of every way, it goes back to basics, right? It's almost like the best motorcycle for a purist. You know, if I owned one of these, I could imagine myself riding it and and just leaving the Senna at home. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It I could I would be more inclined to ride this motorcycle say in um I what's the way to put it? Uh, you know, or even if I was riding with my center and the battery died, I feel like I would care less on this, right? Yeah, this isn't the bike that you're going to find with a tank bag with uh with USB power going into it off the battery with your RAM mount on the handlebars. And, uh-huh. Yeah, you're not getting off. I couldn't imagine the person buying this going for every little gadget also it's a model of motorcycle that not a huge number of people are aware even exists i've been constantly confused why harley doesn't push this in their advertising like hey we've got a retro throwback bike as well like not just in the big cruiser kind but like all you cool instagram kids are doing as well we've got a bike for that too but they i never see it pop up anywhere it it had already been around for a whole year, year and a half before I even knew it was a thing. I just saw one in a dealership and I was like, what do you, and it was almost like hidden behind other bikes. Like it was sitting with used bikes, like in some part of the show, like, like they were ashamed of it. You know, the salesman had no idea what to do with the thing. So it, it's this great thing in that it's, like I said, it's kind of unexpected in its ordinary plainness. 
It's just a regular motorcycle. And how many of these are really on the markets? Yeah, it, it's also, there's a there's an interesting contradiction in that. Although it's a very basic bike in terms of, you know, gadgetry and features and technology, but at the same time, it's extremely modern in a lot of ways for Harley in that, you know, it's got the inverted forks. It's got the dual front brake discs. It's got the, it's got the mag wheels. It's. Yeah. You know, but again, none of that's excessive. You know, they're not four piston, you know, brake calipers, you know, they're just two and they're fine and they get the job done. It's, you know, you, you test rode this and you said, well, it's got some problems. You know, your leg gets real hot because of the seat position and where the engine is and everything. And, and you were like, you know, you shouldn't have to deal with that. But as I was saying, it's lack of features and it's kind of its strength. And the fact that, you know, you can burn your leg on the engine and everything that's kind of its strength, you know, <laughs> motorcycles. Making used- a good case here. Well, they well, they used to have a yeah. lot of fucking problems, like every, good motorcycles, you know, Try, mm-hmm. you know, everyone talks about, you know, CB 750 being, you know, this great bike that changed the world and led us into an era of more modern motorcycles. Try living with one every day. It's got old bikes have problems, but yet people still loved them. This more than anything else Harley has, this really is kind of a way you can reach back and almost touch the past because this kind of has some of those inherent design and functioning problems. And to ride this bike every day, you really do have to just love riding motorcycles just for the, the just for riding motorcycles. Mm -hmm. And in that way, it's almost like, like you said, like the bike for the absolute purist. And I, for anything new, I don't know what accomplishes that because yeah, it has this throwback look, but there's not a, there's, there's no, there's no cool kids club for the Harley Roadster. Like there is for someone who buys a new Bonneville or whatever other throwback bike. Yeah. I would say that in a lot of ways, it's very similar to the W650 in that it's not really just a throwback look. It really is a throwback experience. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, you know, you've ridden this. You can attest. You know, I, when you got off it, I said, how good was it? And you were like, it was close. But if you think, you know, we were talking about uh, Bob's, um, uh, his first bike and my first bike earlier. You know, we kind of look back with rose-colored glasses. But they were kind of terrible motorcycles. But we were just so jazzed about riding that we kind of looked, we were like, no, what are you talking about? Those bikes are great. And, you know, someone else kind of has to intervene and go like, listen, like it, it's well-documented that the nineties Katanas <laughs> were not super great. <laughs> like, you know, like I understand your enthusiasm, but we, <laughs> you know, um, and, you know, and the same with the Nighthawk, my 650 anyway, that version of it, not, not that great. So, you know, there are many ways where you can say, okay, today's Harley Sportster 1200, not that great a motorcycle. Well, okay, but tweak a few things here and there. You customize it one way or another. All of a sudden, kind of got this thing that it's hard to argue against because, there, like I said, there is no cool kids club for this, right? Mm-hmm. Like what's getting less love than ever? You know, the Harley Sportster in general it doesn't have the girl's bike label anymore, 
but it's all about a diner right now. And, you know, before that baggers and whatever, right. It's definitely pushed off in the car. I mean, the only thing less popular is the street 500, right? So if you see someone on one of these, like I'd be, I would be very hesitant to question anything about that dude or woman's that person's commitment to writing at all. Cause just everything there is present to say, this is, for someone who's very serious about riding, even though it doesn't seem like that kind of bike on the surface, because it doesn't have the, I mean, for, you know, forget like Apple CarPlay. I don't, it'd be difficult to find a spot to put your Ram mount for your phone on this thing. Like the bars are pretty minimal. There's not much going on. You're not, there's no flashy feature. There's no hip selling point. It's just a regular motorcycle with all the flaws of motorcycles. And I love it for that reason. Yeah, I mean, I think the only thing that this bike has that I really just do not like and couldn't live with is that, and well, this is just from riding it, is that the Speedo it has is digital, and it's a very slow-to-update Speedo. You kind of know, a, it's similar to, like, riding the... Listen, you say that... But I have had motorcycles with wildly inaccurate gauges, and it wasn't a deal breaker for me. So you know when you go, when you used to go wide open throttle on the CB three fifty, and the speedo was just kind of bouncing around. Oh yeah, when you were doing sixty, it read anywhere from fifty five to seventy. Yeah, just constantly wobbling back and forth. That's kind of the gauge of your speed that you have when you're accelerating or decelerating just because of how slowly it updates it's not it's not a snappy modern you know right i'm just arguing that's one of this bike's strengths it it's got all the problems even though it's a modern motorcycle it kind of has classically all the motorcycle problems it's sort of like that watch dad got that he was really excited about because it didn't have a minute hand on it so he only knew approximately what time it was and that was a big win for him <laughs> celebrating the fact that he'd retired and he didn't have to be anywhere in any particular hurry anymore yeah 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 i yeah i can kind of see that too so you know i, I mean this bike doesn't break the bank either i think like the trickiest like tricked out most expensive one you can get is at 13. I think they start somewhere around 12 or 11,000. That's it's a very attainable thing. I think it comes around roughly at what Bonnevilles are doing. It might be like a grand more, but nothing too crazy. You're always going to pay a little bit more for that Harley badge. That's just how it goes. But as far as paying more for the Harley badge, this one is a little, it stings a little less that way. Oh, apparently it does have attack now. Oh, does it? Ooh, it does have attack. Oh, yeah. I oh no, I do remember this on the 2018 one. Yeah, they do have they have the tack on top and the digital speedo inside. Oh, it's moved to the standard new sportster all in one little display dial thing. I got gotcha. you. Okay. Okay, so it does have attack, but again, it's just a regular needle tack, you know? It's an old school experience. There you go. All right. I don't know. You got any thoughts on it, Bob? I mean, I, I think Harley really did their homework and they're thinking ahead of, of the 
the the people like us uh, in our age demographic, I guess that they're probably getting a little tired of all the new technology that, that everything's coming with. I think for the past like eight or nine years, bikes have been just focusing so much on cramming as much technology into bikes as they can. Now, obviously for good reason to make them uh, more futuristic and, and just, you know, more. Um, but there's, I, I, I see this with a lot of my friends and even with myself where like, we're kind of like getting not anti-technology, but yes, at the same time, a little bit anti-tech because there's just so much. There's a little bit of gadget fatigue. Yeah, exactly. So I think you're going to see a lot more of this kind of stuff working its way into uh, motorcycles, not even just Harleys, but, uh, you know, just all, all the different brands. Um, because yeah, it's just, it becomes too much and it becomes so overwhelming when you're looking at all these different gauges and you got all these communication system things going on and, and it's just, it just becomes too much. (laughs) So yeah, you just want to ride and feel that ride again. Yeah. This bike popped into my mind because I had this moment last week where I was riding along and my Cena told me I had low battery and I was stressed out for a second. And I remembered, oh no, wait, I've got the new Cena where the low battery is like, you know, a half hour warning rather than like a 45 second warning. But, and I thought, oh, I wonder how much like charges in my phone. And then I looked down and realized I hadn't clipped in the Helite vest that I was wearing. And I thought, oh my gosh, I got all these things to mess with. Then I realized, oh my gosh, yeah. And, and you know, it'll get even worse soon because I'm going to have that brake free brake light on the back of my helmet. And I'll have to remember to charge that too. And like all these things are getting, you know, and you know, like I got this, you know, cramp buster on the thing and I don't ride without that. And all these, you know, and I thought, <laughs> oh, I, you know, I, and I thought, oh, you know, like riding in, work gloves and sunglasses only guy like i can't be that guy i need my helmet and all my safety gear that's that's a that's a deal breaker for me but there was this part of me that is envious of someone that can just go off that way without anything just get on the bike and you know kind of just as they are and go and i thought who is that guy and i thought that's kind of harley harley roadster guy is who that is like if i was going to be one of those guys that's the first you know bike and that type that lines up for me that's that's harley roadster guy can just put on you know the helmet and the gloves and maybe a jacket maybe not and and just kind of go off and not care and there was part of me that was envious of that and i thought yeah no music no anything just the bike and the bike being the bike you know just for itself and that that's why i chose it this week so yeah. Um, cool. I think we've done a good job on this segment. And yeah, what do you say? Let's end this. Let's take a little break and then we'll come back with something else. Okay. So now, Bob, we understand you've got to leave us, which is absolutely fine. We've we've taken up loads of your time today. So uh, I just want to get back uh, to just for a couple minutes here for your um, biker gear club. If you know, I had all sorts of things I wanted to ask you about, you know, demographics and surprise items and, and all sorts of things like that. But just at its real core, if there's like one thing about Biker Gear Club that might surprise people, you know, what, what do you think it might be? Um, I really think that the, the biggest surprise is just the fact that 
you're going to be learning about so many brands that you had no idea even existed. <laughs> That's, I always bring it back to that because we are really the only service that, that you're going to get this kind of experience through. I've experienced all these different brands and even different products because a lot of these small companies are coming out with so many unique products that you're not going to just find on, on, uh, you know, the big motorcycle online retailers like Revzilla and, and, you know, like that. So I think that's, that's really key with biker gear club. If you want to really learn about new products and different brands and support small businesses, I think that's, that's where we really come in. Cool. All right. I think we're going to, um, break off and uh, read some of our listener emails now, but this has been super cool talking with you and yeah, learning about the, the small brand aspect. You've, you've piqued my interest and we're definitely going to kind of follow along, see how you guys do and, you know, investigate this a little bit more for ourselves. Yeah. Check it out. We only got nine days left to the, the cutoff for our, our June shipment. So, and father's day is coming up. So <laughs> it's kind of, it's, oh, wait, a, it's a one great real question. One real quick question before you go. Do you guys do just like single box deliveries or is it subscription for a certain amount of months? No, it's, it's, uh, it's pay as you go. So sign up for a month. Uh, so it is pretty much single box. Uh, it, it's an auto renewing system. So you sign up, you can sign up and then just, just to get one box, cancel it right away. Um, or after you get your first box and, and before the uh, renewal period and there you go. Okay. No commitment to, to, you know, you don't sign up for an entire year or anything like that. Although we do get people that want to do that, which is great. But, but yeah, there's really no commitment. You just, if you want to buy one box, just sign up and then just cancel it. Yeah. Cause like our, our father rides. So if we signed up, we could just get him one box just as a gift and there we go. Okay, cool. And there's right. a section that kind of describes that on the website about gifting and everything. So. All right. Awesome. Well, again, you got somewhere to go, so we won't keep you too long. I just wanted to close out with just a couple little things like that. And uh, yeah, um, you know, reach out to us anytime if you want to update, uh, give us anything exciting on what's happening with you guys, and we'll go for there. Love to. Yeah. Right on. I, I definitely want to come back. I think this is great. Cool. Okay. So that was super cool talking with Bob. And I think we are really long on time now, so we better wrap this up because we're probably losing people left and right. What do you say? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so closing this one out, remember you can send your emails to contact at nocomotopodcast.com and stay safe and stay tuned. I don't want to die. I just want to ride on my mobile.